0: come forward to receive our offering again if you're visiting with us we are certainly thrilled about you being here and on the inside you'll find a little guest card if you'll take that and just fill it out drop an offering plate a moment appreciate it we want to get to know you and we want you to get to know us and we'd like to send you some information get some information to you about the church but we're glad you're visiting with us good to have mickey and cookie johnson with us mickey would you stand they've served the lord for years missionaries let's welcome them to the services good to have you tonight others that are visiting with us just let me remind you of a couple things real quickly if you have not registered or at least got your name to us uh, that you want to be a part of the family uh, retreat that's coming up friday night saturday and then next sunday of course sunday is for everybody but friday night and saturday and all we need to know if you have not let us know some way today that you are planning on being there let us do so tonight take your bulletin and uh, tear out the little card there that we use to get information from you. Put that in the offering plate or just uh, write on a piece of paper. You don't have a bulletin, uh, uh, write on cigarette pack. We just need to get the information from you. Just put your name there, put family. Uh, you plan planning on being for the family conference. We just need to know how many is going to be there. And uh, so we can have the meal brought in on Saturday for everybody that is there. But I encourage you to be a part of this. You'll enjoy it. And Family Fortress Ministries will be here all through the weekend and uh, dealing with us and helping us in our families. The information for the Golden Agers trip is available. If you had not got that, pick that up. And many have asked about that. There's brochures out in the lobby for that. Let's pray now. Father, bless the offering and continue to open our hearts to what you have for us in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
1: It's not conservative or liberal, however they're defined. It's not about interpretation or the judgment of the mind. It's the opposite of politics, power or prestige. It's about a simple message. And whether we believe it's still the cross, still the bl-
2: Of the valley, let your sweet aroma feel my life. Roles of Sharon show me how to grow in beauty in God's sight Make me a reflection of you.
3: think when your heart is the lowest and, and the storm is raging, you know, sometimes it's hard to let the world see Jesus through <coughs> us, but that's when he wants to shine through us the most. He wants to be that light in our soul and that peace, and I, I've often said to people, you know, the world don't need to see a super Christian who has no problems because that's unreal. That's not true. There's not a person that walks on this earth that doesn't have trials and trouble and pain. But the difference is we have someone called alongside to help, and that is the Holy Spirit. He is our comforter and our guide and our help. And oh, what a blessing to know that he is near when that storm is raging. And what the world needs to see is someone under distress that has a peace and a comfort that they don't have. That's what will win the world. Albert came through once again, yes it did.
4: Jesus. Let's all stand tonight as the choir's coming down. Folks, we have a reason to be happy tonight because we have victory. Let's get out. Shake hands. Don't just stand there. Get out. Run up the balcony. Run over the side wing everywhere. Shake hands. Victory in Jesus. Page 526. If you need a songbook, page 526 Victory in Jesus. You ready to go in just a minute? You may be seated. We'll ask him now, so she'll come on now and sing for him.
5: His love reached from the heavens to the far ends of give you like star is just before the dawn, remember nothing can separate you, neither pain or sorrow, not today and not tomorrow, nothing past or nothing present, nothing future, nothing or nothing could ever come up.
0: And aren't you glad for that wonderful truth? Let's take God's Word, turn to Joshua chapter 9, the book of Joshua chapter 9. While you're turning there, I want uh, all of those uh, that are participating in our faith classes this semester, we have a number of teams going out every Thursday night in faith. They meet at 6 o'clock for their faith training. They're out by 7 o'clock. And for their team visits, we have three people on each team. And they're back around 8.15 for celebration time. But one of the things that is so thrilling about faith is the number of people that are going out that have never been out visiting before in their life. And I want everyone, Thursday night that went out, it was your first time to go on visitation. Would you stand please, if you're in their faith teams, Thursday night was your first time to go out on visitation. There were a number of you, there may be some here, Not here tonight, but would you stand? Let's give these a good hand. I thank the Lord for you. What a blessing. I praise the Lord for all the ones going out. Where's Emily? Kevin, Emily, where are you two at? Where are you at? In the back. Tell you what Emily said. Kevin had to go out of town, so Emily's on my faith team this time. So Aaron went with us. Uh, He filled in on in the place of Kevin. So the first thing Emily said when she got in the car Thursday night, she said, I want you to know, this is the first time I've ever been on visitation, and I have to go with two of the most intimidating people in the church to go with. But she did good, and we praise the Lord for it. It's exciting. Thursday night was such a blessing when we came back for a celebration time, and I thank the Lord for all of those that are going through faith. A journey of faith, a life Changing experience is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Let me encourage you now to be thinking about and praying about your giving over the next several months. As most of you know, we're beginning a new uh, project this uh, here in just a few weeks. As soon as the architects get everything drawn, the drawings up, get all the permits and everything, which involves tying our buildings together as well as all new preschool and totally renovating one whole building just for preschool. And uh, it's going to be one of our bigger projects. But I want you to be praying about now over the next several weeks and the next several months about giving special to the Lord into this particular project. I began this morning myself personally giving something every week uh, to go into the building fund. I hope many of you will think about doing that and pray about coming up in May as our special time of giving, our Chester Joe Ash. It's always a very, very unique day around here. And one which we've been amazed at how God and what He's done through the years. But it's going to be exciting. All the things that changes. So much around here will be changed. A totally different way flow, where traffic will flow and people will flow and different things. It's really going to be an exciting thing. But I want you to be praying about it. Let's stand. Joshua chapter 9. Let's honor the public reading of this word by standing. I want to speak to you tonight as we move up our way through Joshua. On Don't Fall for Old Clothes and moldy bread don't fall for old clothes and moldy bread I'm not going to read the whole chapter I'm just going to begin reading in verse 3 and we'll read down through verse 7 and we'll work our way through the chapter tonight and I'm not going to read all the verses as we work our way through the chapter I would encourage you to go home tonight read all of the chapter before you go to bed but look at verse 3 beginning in verse 3 of Joshua 9 the scripture said and when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did work wildly and went and made as if they had been ambassadors. And they took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent, and bound up and old shoes and clouded upon their feet and old garments upon them and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. They went to Joshua under the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We become from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Paraventure, ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? Verse 8, I'll read this. I don't think I put it on the screen. And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye and from whence come Thank you. You may be seated and that gives us the heart of the chapter and we'll look at the rest of the chapter and the verses around it tonight as we think about don't fall for old clothes and moldy bread. Let's pray. Father, we come tonight and we thank you, Lord, that nothing can separate us from your love. Father, already in the service we've been reminded of your love, how wonderful your love is. And what an encouragement to our heart it is to know that we cannot be separated from your love, that you love us with an everlasting love, as the great hymn writer said and spoke of the love that wilt not let us go. And Lord, we come tonight thanking you that you loved us in spite of who we were, in spite of what we had done, but you loved us and we thank you so much for it. Thank you for Calvary, the proof of your love and that great demonstration of your love. Lord, because you love us, help us to love you as you ought to be loved. You deserve our love. You desire our love. And may we love you in response to you loving us. Now, Father, tonight help us as we continue learning about how to be victorious believers. And as we seek to know more about the Christian life and the kind of life that you want us to live and to experience and to enjoy as a believer, open our hearts tonight. May we glean from the Word of God. May you instill in our hearts tonight some wonderful truths and principles that will help us tomorrow and in the days to come. Thank you again for bringing us together. Thank you in advance for what you want to say to us. And we'll give you praise for it. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ we ask these things. Amen. If you have been with us on Sunday nights, you know that in our journey through Joshua, our emphasis has been upon the victorious Christian life. If there is a book in the Bible that illustrates what Christian living is all about, it is the book of Joshua. If there is a book in the Bible that demonstrates that being a Christian and living a Christian life is to be a victorious Christian life, it is the book of Joshua. The theme of Joshua is living in our Canaan. It is conquering our possessions. It is living a life of victorious living as a child of God. The book of Joshua gives a picture of victorious living. The book of Joshua gives us a pattern for victorious living. And the book of Joshua gives us the process of living in victory. As we have made our way through the first eight chapters, we have learned that the victorious life is not without its ups and downs. That the victorious life sometimes is altered, is some interrupted by failure on our part. But again, I'm glad that God is a God that gives us a second chance. And God is a God that will forgive. And God is a God that will put us once again in the battle and allow us to take our greatest defeats and turn them into our greatest triumphs. It is not without failure, but yet it's a victorious Christian life. But I also find as I make my way through the book of Joshua, and as we've been reminded on a couple of occasions, the victorious Christian life is not without its enemies. It is not without its enemies. It interests me that the first three places of battle that were designed by Joshua, by the leading of the Lord, began with Jericho, then went to Ai, and then the third one was to be Gibeon, which we're looking at tonight in Joshua chapter 9. These three cities, Jericho, Ai, and Gibeon, are representative of the three enemies that we fight with day in and day out. We have an external enemy, We have an internal enemy, and we have an infernal enemy. And all three of these are illustrated by Jericho, Ai, and Gibeon. You might say the spiritual counterpart part of Jericho would be the world. One of our enemies that we fight with every day is this system that is around us, a system that is designed to draw us away from God. There is the pull of this world to conform us and to squeeze us into the mold of this world, to make us like the world rather than allowing the Spirit of God to make us like Jesus Christ. There is our Jericho, which is the world. You would say that AI is the counterpart of the flesh, how we battle not only with the world, but we battle with our flesh. There is that old me, that unconverted part of me, the old man. And this world around me strongly appeals to my flesh. You might say, I don't have any problems. Since I got saved, nothing bothers me. Then the best thing for us to do is to bury you because you're dead. Say amen right there. Because as long as you're in this world, this old part of you, this flesh, the old man, is going to be greatly attracted to the world that is around you. And so we battle every day with our flesh. And then we come to Gibeon tonight. And that is symbolic of the enemy that we fight that we call the devil or Satan. The world is our our external enemy. It is the enemy around us seeking to pull us from God. There is our internal enemy, which is our flesh, and there is our infernal enemy, which is Satan, represented by Gibeon tonight in the Scripture. I've said this before, and I want to say it one more time. The Christian life is a battleground. It is not a playground. I think about one time General Douglas MacArthur speaking to the graduating class at West Point. He quoted Plato to the effect that only the dead have seen the end of war. And I remind you tonight that only those who are now with the Lord have seen the end of the spiritual battles that we fight every day. As long as you're in this world, I don't care how spiritual you get, I don't care how much of God you know and how much of the Word of God you know, you'll never get to the place that you do not have to battle with the world and you do not have to battle with the flesh and you do not have to battle with the devil. Again, we're not on a playground, we're on a battleground. But the victorious Christian life is learning how to overcome these enemies. The victorious Christian life is not one which you will never fail. There's going to be failure in our life, like Achan and all of those in Joshua 6, 7 and 8, the story of failure, but yet recovery from that failure. It's not a life without failure. But the victorious Christian life is learning how to get up when you fall. The victorious Christian life is learning how to fight. It is learning how to deal with the enemies that we fight every day. It's learning how to be victorious in our battle against the world. It's learning how to be victorious in our battle with the flesh. It is learning how to be victorious in our battle with Satan. So the book of Joshua teaches us how to overcome, and it also teaches us why we are overcome. It tells us how we can be victorious But it also gives us reasons why we become victims rather than victors. Joshua chapter 9, Joshua chapter 9, is one of those chapters that teaches us why we often become a victim rather than a victor. Look at the chapter tonight and let's look at this story that surrounds the Gibeonites, symbolic of our enemy Satan. And let's learn how Israel, from their mistakes, learn from their mistakes and their actions understanding that we have this enemy. Three things that comes to my mind as I read and think about Joshua chapter 9. The first one is this. When I read Joshua 9 and see the account of Joshua 9, I am mindful how we're to be watchful of the enemy. How we're to be watchful of the enemy. Look in verse 1, chapter 9. The Bible sets the background. And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side, Jordan, in the hills, in the valleys... But you find him here, these on the south. He talked about the Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Verse 1 said they heard thereof. Verse 2 said that they gathered themselves together. They formed an alliance to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. Now verse 1 and 2 of Joshua 9 again reminds us that we have an enemy. And it reminds us how this enemy marshals all of its energies and forces together. They, All their enemies will form an alliance to overcome us and to defeat us. You have the presence of an enemy. And you have this enemy in his desires and his plans to overcome Israel. It reminds us that we must be watchful. That there is an enemy and we must be watchful of this enemy. Why? Let me just point out two things. For one thing, may I say, that Satan fears a victorious believer. Satan fears a victorious believer. You notice in the latter part of verse 9, those are the last two words. They heard thereof. They heard thereof. Verse 3, and when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai. Now why did they form this alliance? Why did they come together from the mountains and from the valleys and on the coast? Why did they all come together and form this league and this alliance to fight? Because they had heard what God had done. They had heard about the victories of the people of God. And it struck fear in their heart all through the book of Joshua. Whenever there was victory, there was always the fear of those around them. They heard about their accomplishments. They heard about their deeds and it terrified them and struck fear in their heart because they knew they were on the hit list and they knew they were next. And Gibeon, they knew they were next. They were the next one in in marching, marching order. And so fear struck their heart and they came together and formed this alliance because of what they had heard and what they knew. I remind you tonight that Satan fears a victorious believer. It's like William Cowper. In his great hymn, he said, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Why does Satan fear a victorious believer? Because a believer, when he lives in victory, Satan knows he's a threat to his territory. He knows he's going to rob and take his territory. He knows that a victorious believer is going to be a shining witness for Jesus Christ. And he's going to snatch one here and one there, a city here and a city there. And he's going to take Satan's territory. He is fearful of those who live in victory. He is fearful of a victorious believer. Therefore, second of all, not only does Satan fear a victorious believer, but he fights a victorious believer. Look at verse 2 that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua. You see, friend, whenever you live for God, and you live the kind of life God wants you to live, and you live an abundant life, a victorious life, overcoming the world and the flesh and the devil day by day by day, Satan fears that because he knows that's the kind of believer that'll rob him of his territory. Therefore... Satan fights a victorious believer. I've heard people before make the statement, well, Brother Ken, I gave my life to God. I gave everything to the Lord, and when I did, everything began to go wrong. The bottom fell out. This happened in my life. This trial come in my life. This problem occurred in my life. Brother Ken, I'm beginning to wonder, did I get out of the will of God? It may be a good indication that your right slam in the middle of the will of God. Because Satan is always going to fight when we do what is right. He is always going to fight when you serve God. He's always going to fight when you live in a victorious life. Your battles, all your blessings are always followed by battles. Maybe tonight what you're going through is just an angry... A devil, and you ought to jump up and down and say, Thank God he's mad. Amen. But I'm talking about Satan fights a victorious boy. He's going to fight you. I assure all of you that are serious about serving God, He's going to fight you. He didn't want you to serve God. All of you, dear folk, that are in faith and made the commitment you've made to go through faith, I want to promise you that this next 16 weeks are not going to be without battles. Satan wants you out there in his territory. Satan didn't want you out there telling others about Christ. Satan didn't want you out there and winning others to the Lord. He didn't want you growing spiritually. So he's going to do everything he can to fight you and to stop you. That is the enemy. And as a believer, we must be watchful of the enemy. Joshua lived constantly with the idea, I am in the enemy's territory, but we're claiming it for God. And he was watchful of the enemy. But that leads me to a second thing. Are you with me now? Say amen. Not only must we be watchful of the enemy, second of all, you must be wise to the enemy. You see, he not only has his plans, but he also has his procedures. Satan wants to stop you. Satan wants to fight you. And so in fighting you, he has his ways. There's how Satan works. There is his procedures. There is his, as the Bible talks about, the Bible talks about the wiles of the devil. A poem where I grew up in North Carolina, one of the preachers of Perry used to call it the willies of the devil. Well, willies are wiles. Satan has his wiles. Satan, the Bible talks about the devices of Satan. The Bible talks about the snares of Satan. There's his wiles, devices, and there is his snares there is the procedures of the devil to stop you. Now, how does he fight? How does he try to get a foot in our life? How does he overcome? We're trying to claim our Canaan. We're trying to learn how to win. We want to win over Jericho. We want to win over Ai. We want to win over Gibeon. How do we win? But how does Satan fight? How does he work to keep us from being victorious? Let me point out two things in the chapter. Notice, first of all, uh, the devil's methods. Let me just, just emphasize the devil's methods for just a moment. You look in Joshua 9. How did the Gibeons? Now, they're the ones marked for destruction. And the law of God back in Deuteronomy said that everyone, all the nations, races, and people in, in, in Canaan were to be totally destroyed. You would have let none of them go. None were to live. It was God's way of giving them the land. It was God's way of judging a pagan people. And God said, nobody's to get by. But Gibeon, they know they're next. And so what did they do? They ended up getting a league and were spared destruction. But how did they manage that matter? Look at the methods they use, and it reminds us of the devil's methods. For example, notice beginning in verse 3, how they came. The Bible said when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and Ai, they did work wildly, which simply means sneaky, craftily. And they went, now this is what they did. They come in a sneaky way. And they went and they made as if they had been ambassadors. And they took old sacks, old sacks, uh, uh, sacks that to store things in, put up on their asses, and they took old wine bottles. Some of them were cracked and bound up. Verse 5 said they put on all shoes and clouded up on their feet, just slap wore out. By, by, by the way, slap is a Hebrew word for just completely. That's to say amen right there. Slam means right in the middle. Slap means just flat wore out. Amen. But he said, uh, he talked about took all shoes, they were clouded up on their feet, just hanging on their feet and old garments upon them and their bread, the Bible speaks about, was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua under the camp at Gilgal and they said unto them. Well, notice what they said and what they claimed in just a moment. But that's how they came. They didn't come into the camp as an enemy. They came in the camp pretending to be a friend. They didn't come with their uh, armor shining in the sun. They didn't come with their swords unsheathed. They came as a friend. They said, we are ambassadors. We have come as your friend. They dressed that way so it looked like they had come hundreds and hundreds of miles when the truth of the matter is they were just from 25 miles down the road. But they dressed that way and put on old garments and old shoes and put some old bread and some old wine bottles and some old sa- saddlebags, you might call them. And so it looked like they'd been traveling for a long time. They came in a deceptive way. Now, listen to me. You know, the devil doesn't come to you as a lion all the time. You see, it's very easy to detect the snare and the snaring of the, uh, of the lion. But he doesn't always come as a lion. Many times he comes as a slithering serpent. You hear the roar of the lion, but you don't always hear the slithering of the snake. And the devil doesn't always come as your enemy, come running in saying, I'm here and I'm going to fight you and I'm going to stop you and I'm going to destroy you. No, not at all. Paul talked about it, how that he oftentimes appears as an angel of light. Satan comes in a very deceptive way. That's how they came. Beginning in verse 6, we see what they claimed. The Bible said, And they went to Joshua under the camp at Gilgal, and they said unto him and to the men of Israel, we be come from a far country. Now, was that true? No, they're from 25 miles down the road. You always got to watch your neighbors. Say amen right there. He said, Well, they've come unto them. We've come from a far country. Lies. Now, therefore, make ye a league with us. we come a long way off. We've traveled miles and weeks and weeks and weeks. And the men of Israel said unto the high vice, venture, you dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? And they said to Joshua in verse 8, We are thy servants. Now, was they wanting to be servants? No, they're wanting to be masters. They want Israel to end up being their servants. And so here's what they did. How they came, they came in a deceptive way, and they came lying. Pretending to be one thing and making and making a claim that was not true. Now listen to me. We fight an enemy. He's the devil. He is an enemy that often appears as an angel of light. He doesn't march into our life, as I said a moment ago, as a warrior. He often slithers into our life as a serpent, and he comes. and Everything is John eight five or eight forty four said that he is a liar and he's the father of lies. He comes to us and he promises us this and he tells us that. He said, look, this is what I want to be to you and this is what I want to do for you. He sneaks into our life. He comes in deceptive ways. That's the devil's method's Again, he don't broadcast. He don't walk in and say, I am the devil. I am here to destroy you. No, he works his way into our life. He catches us off guard. He tries to deceive us because he wants to work into our lives and get a foothold in our life that he might overcome us rather than we overcoming him. That's the devil's methods. But I want you to look at the second thing in the chapter, and that is this. It's what I would call the believer's mistakes. They made some mistakes in the chapter. They were deceived. They were tricked. And the plan fell right in place for the Gibbonites here. And everything fell right in place. And I believe there's some reasons why they were tricked. And there's some things why we need to learn tonight to be reminded of why we sometimes find ourselves tricked when our enemy fights us. For example, I look at the story and these three things came to my mind. I don't think I have them on the screen, but I want you to listen to them carefully. The first thing that I noticed when I read this and thought about the mistake they made is that first of all, they did not listen to the check that was in their heart. Now you look at the story, for example. In verse 7, they come and they said, We want to make a league with you. Verse 6, they said, We've come from a far country. They've disguised themselves, verse 4 and 5. They come sneaky in a deceptive way. And they said, We want to be your servants. But notice verse 8. They just said, We're from a far country. And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are you? From where did you come from? Do you not almost sense a hesitancy on the part of Joshua? They've just said we're from a far country. And Joshua said, now who did you say you were? Where did you say you came from? There was a check in Joshua's heart for a moment. There was a hesitancy there on the part of Joshua. They just told him who they were, what they were from, lying the whole time. And Josh was not quite sure about it. You might say there was a check in his heart. I want you to understand something. You know, you walk with God, you live for God. God has a way of checking you about some matters. God has a way of maybe in your heart, here is some matter. Maybe it's a decision that you're making in your life. And if you're real sincere about following God and you're trying your best to live for God, I have found time and time again, it's like a check in my spirit. And I have found through the years that if I would listen to that little check in my heart, it saved me from a lot of heartache and it saved me from a lot of trouble because I have found through the years that if God is speaking and the Spirit of God is leading, you never have to wonder God don't come with doubts. God never speaks to you and leaves you in question. When God gives you a word and God tells you what's going on, you know what's going on. But I have found as long as there is a check in my heart, an uncertainty there, I have found the best thing to do is to do nothing. And what happens many times, here's Satan, he's trying to get his way in our life and there's that check in our heart but we don't listen to it. Look well, at something else, a mistake you made. Verse 14 I find one of the mistakes they've made is that they judge things by their appearance and not what was really true. You look over in verse 14. The Bible said, And the men took of their victuals. Now Joshua said, Now, who are you? Who would you say you were? Something there doesn't quite click with Joshua. So he questions them again. They go through the whole story again and even enlarge upon it. And verse 14 said, And the men took of their victuals, their food, their provisions and what they had. What they did in Joshua chapter 9 is that they judged things by the appearance. Why did they come to the con- conclusion that these men were friends? Why did they come to the conclusion to accept them into the camp? Hey, yeah, these fellas are real. They come from a far country. They want to be in a league with us. They want to be our servants. They want to be our friends. They did it based on what they saw. Based on moldy bread, based on old shoes, based on all clothes. They leaned unto their own understanding and they judged things by what it looked like and the appearance. I want you to listen to me. You do not judge what is right and wrong by what appears to be right and wrong. You judge what is right and wrong by what is plainly stated and thus saith the Lord in the word of God. I remember years ago there was a song uh, I believe Debbie Boone sung I believe that's the name of it. Or that was the who sung it there. But something like, Baby, Come on and Light My Fires. That's not the name of it. That ain't right. Uh, that's what Sherry, that's what I sing to Sherry every night. Amen. But uh, uh, what's the name of that song? You Light Up My Life. You all know it. I bet if I asked you who John Newton was, you wouldn't even know it. But there was a line in there, how can it be wrong if it feels so right? Just because it feels right, don't make it right. Just because it looks good, it don't make it good. Devil knows how to get into your life. He knows how to fight it. He's not going to come in with a sword swinging right and left. He's going to come in as an angel of light and work his way in and make you think this is real, this is legitimate. You do not judge by the appearance whether it works out or whatever. Jonah got in trouble because everything fell in place. He ran from God and he went down to Tarshish to get a ship and lo and behold, there was a vacancy open in the ship. And one fair, and he got that fair, and took off. And Josh, I'm sure Jonah thought to himself, Boy, this is working out just right. But was it right? No, you don't judge things by how good things go or how they look. You judge it by God's Word. That is the final authority in your life. That's how you determine what is the will of God. That's how you determine what is right in your life, by this blessed old book. I've said it before, I'll say it again. This is not a museum of peace to admire, it's a book to live by. Amen. And you judge not by the appearance as they did, but you judge by what is right. Look at verse 14. I'll tell you another reason they made, another mistake they made, and why they failed. They didn't take it to God in prayer. Look at verse 14. They ask not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. You ought to underscore that in your Bible. You don't know why they made a mistake? Here is an enemy they have been commanded by God to destroy. But they ended up having to save them because for one thing, they judged everything by the appearance. They didn't listen to the check in their heart and furthermore, they didn't pray about the matter. They didn't go to God and say, God, is this right? Here's people we don't even know all this walked in camp one day and they look like they're legitimate. They look like they've come from a long way, but God, we need to know what you want us to do. We need to know what is right. You're the one that gives us direction. You're the one we need to listen to. Not our flesh, not the world around us, not these strangers that just rode in today. God, we need to hear from you. We need to listen to you. They made a mistake because they didn't go to the Lord in prayer. How many times, how many times, how many times have we failed in our life as a believer because we didn't take matters to God? How many times have we found ourselves a victim rather than a victor because we neglected to take things to God? And we didn't seek God, we didn't pray, we didn't have a daily devotional life, we didn't meet God every day. We didn't listen to God through His Word. We didn't talk to God through prayer. And we didn't know the mind of God. We didn't hear God. We didn't follow God. The mistake that he made was they didn't turn to the Lord or look to the Lord in prayer. Now you listen to me. The devil is sneaky. He's a crook. He's a cheat. He's a con artist. He has thousands of years to know how to get into our lives. And if you do not take things to God in prayer and live with God and do not judge things by His Word and do not listen to the sweet Spirit of God that lives within you to give you checks in your heart, you will be a victim rather than be a victor in your life. So you've got to be wise to the enemy. Be wise. Learn of his wiles. Learn of his devices. Learn of his snares. Be wise to the enemy. But a third and a final thing in the chapter. Not only be watchful of the enemy and wise to the enemy, but a third and a final thought that I gather from the chapter is be winners over the enemy. Now, I won't take much time. just kind of hit over the last few verses of the chapter. But what they did is they made this. All right, we're going to make a league with you. So they formed a league there and made them a promise they would be in... Alliance with them you might say And that they wouldn't destroy them and whatever like that And uh, so the Internist League made a promise, made a vow And a vow to God was very, very serious And they couldn't break that vow But God judged, judged them for breaking that promise So they made a mistake What should have been destroyed was allowed to live And the nation that should have been wiped out Became something that lived in their lives every day But they became winners Even though they made a mistake, as we've seen all through Joshua, there is failure. But I said it a couple of weeks ago, failure need not be final and failure need not be fatal. The victorious Christian life doesn't mean you're not going to fail. The victorious Christian life means that when you do fail, you get back up and you go on and you learn from your failure. And that's what they did for one thing. What do you do? Well, the one thing, you realize your mistake. You realize your mistake. Look at verse 16. The Bible said it came to pass at the end of three days after they had made a league with them that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. Three days. I don't know how they found out. I don't know how they discovered it. I don't know how it was disclosed that they had lied. I don't know. But three days later they found out And suddenly they realized their mistake and they began to deal with the matter. They knew they had made a promise they could not break. They knew that. And so they began to deal with it and deal with it right. They faced it with honesty. They faced it with integrity. But what they did is they realized their mistake. Now when you fail, you realize you failed. You admit that you failed. You accept the fact that I have failed. I have grieved the Lord. I have broken the law of God. I have failed. Realize that. Your mistake, and second of all, reverse your mistake. They realized they made a mistake, but did they stop there and just stay down because they made a mistake? No, they reversed it. Whereas they were once again, you might say, on a victim status, they turned it all around and became listed in victor status. Notice what they did. Verse 15, here's the oath they made. Joshua made peace with them, made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. They made an oath. And here's what they did. When they realized the mistake they made, they turned that mistake around, reversed it, and turned it into a triumph. Verse 21, they said, The princes said unto them, Let them live. Because we made a covenant with them, we made a promise, we can't lie, God will judge us. He said, Let them live, but... Let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation as the princes had promised. Them. And you're going to read the rest of the chapter. That's what they did. They brought him in and said, You've lied to us, and we're not going to kill you. We promised you we would not kill you. We're not going to break the promise to you that we made. God will deal with us, but this is what you'll do. You'll be the servants for the rest of your lives. You'll be our servants. And you find out as you go through, read through the Bible, that's what they did, they became servants of the tabernacle. And they became servants in the place of Levites at a latter time. never read anywhere in the Bible or in history that the Gibbonites ever gave them problems. But you know what they did? They made a mistake. But they reversed that mistake and turned it into victims or victor status rather than victim status. Now, you make a mistake in your life. You let Satan kind of have a foothold in your life. You let him defeat you. You let him overcome you. What do you do? You realize what you've done. You realize why you failed. You realize where you were weak. You realize... Well, you let down your guard. You realize you didn't listen to the Spirit of God in you. You realize that you didn't follow God's Word. You realize that you didn't pray about it. You realize that and then you turn it around and you become get back on your feet again and you begin to live the way God wants you to live as a victorious believer. I wish I could appear tonight and tell you that I've always lived, right? I wish I could tell you that I have never made a mistake in my life. I wish I could tell you that I had always been a good soldier of Jesus Christ, always listened to the checks in my heart, always followed the Word of God, always prayed about everything. But I can't do that. I can't do that. And neither can you. But I promise you one thing I've found through the years. That if I would learn from my mistakes and I would glean from my mistakes and realize why I did what I did, why I failed, why I made the mistake, where my weakness was and realize that and then turn that and use that as a stepping stone, I once again found that I could live as a victor in life and not as a victim. That's how God wants you to live. Amen? That's how God wants you to live. But listen to me. You have an enemy. Don't you fall for some old clothes and some old moldy bread. Don't you do it. The only thing you settle for is the glory of God in your soul and the Spirit of God in the Word of God. Don't fall for old clothes and don't fall for moldy bread. You do what is right. Let's stand their feet, please. We're on a journey claiming our Canaan, possessing our possessions, learning how to live victoriously. Learning to win in the battle with the world, the flesh and the devil maybe tonight maybe you for some reason like Joshua you made a mistake you didn't listen to God, you didn't listen to his words, you didn't pray about things other reasons, but you made a mistake then I want to say it to you tonight, reverse your mistakes, turn them into triumphs grow on, go on, grow in the things of God and go on and serve God that's what God wants you to do You make a mistake. He don't throw you aside and say you're worthless. I'll get somebody else. No, He wants you to get up and go on for the glory of God. That's learning to be victorious and overcoming in life. Maybe tonight when we sing, maybe you just want to come, just find your place and say, "Oh Lord, I've made mistakes in my life. I realize why I made them. Why I made the mistake. Why I failed. Why I yielded. Why I said yes when I should have said no. Why I said no when I should have said yes. Lord, I learn from these things. God, I want to grow." And I want to keep on growing that I may be victorious. You may just want to come and say, Dear God, I'm tired of living defeated. I want to live in victory. I want to overcome. I don't want to be overcome. I want to overcome. I want to live what God wants me to live. Father, in Jesus' name, may we as believers tonight, your children, may we ever be watchful of our enemies. May we ever be wise to our enemy. And Lord, as you have so planned for our life, may we be winners over the enemy. When there is failure, realize why there is failure. And may we take and reverse that failure and use it to that which will serve us in the days to come, just like the children of Israel reversed their mistake and it became a servant to them and a strength to them in the days that were ahead. Father, may we do the same thing in our life. May we learn from our failures. May we learn from our mistakes. It's part of growing. It's a part of overcoming. So, Father, help us to learn to grow as a believer and to live victorious over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Maybe there's someone here tonight who's been losing the battle, losing the battle with this old world, losing the battle with this old flesh, losing the battle with our enemy. Lord, tonight, give them something. Put something in their heart. First of all, to tell them that you want them to live in victory and they can be victorious. They don't have to succumb. They can overcome. Father, tonight, in Jesus' name, just take Joshua 9, use it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing one, maybe two stanzas. Maybe you want to just find your way down this altar. Talk to the Lord about some matter. Lay it before the Lord. Give it to God. And we'll be going in just a moment. But as we sing, you come on.